beaten and, and chased off and across the lake. It's not that a, a privilege, but an honor to suffer for the sake of the name. My view, Philippians, know that same honor of God upon your life if and when you suffer. just to know Christ more. I want to be more like Christ through suffering. Christ who, who died to be risen, so in the same way, I think metaphorically, but then also usually physically, Paul died as he suffered, continually being resurrected by the presence of Christ in him. There in his grave, and we now know laying in his flesh, having raised to live with God, Stay short, steady, to give lots of people lots of opportunities to do 
Uh, let me bring up a little hint. Uh, Dave was with uh, Stephen and Scott Sable here this last week ministering to compassion there in New Jersey with Second Chance Ministries. He's going to lead us off in telling us about them and some brief things here for a little bit so that we can pray, and then we'll get into our first segment of prayer. So for those of you who don't know, while we were there, we spent some time in Kashmir. Kashmir is, is a place in India. It's up on the very northern border of the country. It actually borders with Pakistan. And one of the issues there is it's, it's really kind of a perilous place. There's a lot of diverse things about it. Uh, there's actually a number of terrorist organizations that are there that are trying to push the
describe what are we to get an idea of what these men face. And all of them were very severely faced by a variety of persecution. Many of them had been put in jail. Others had lost their jobs. Uh, they faced discrimination. They were not able then to find a job that was as clearly as they before or just find a place to live because of this discrimination. Uh, in almost all cases, they had been shunned by their, their family. They had been out of this fellowship uh, from their family. Uh, they had threats to their own uh, uh, their, their security and their lives. Um, they uh, faced all kinds of Thank you. 
week after meeting, week before the trip, and and pray over uh, the uh, the children and those that will be in my business ability. So uh, take some time and start praying, and we'll stand for our uh, closing and move on into discussion. Okay, so let's get together.
Druze is an ethno-religious group, about one million in number. The Druze are scattered across the eastern Mediterranean, uh, largest communities in Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. Druze borrow their faith, their very simple fistic, uh, from the Abrahamic faith, and I mean that plural, uh, Greek philosophy, and Hinduism. says, we were living our lives blind and just trying to find our way to a donkey. The psalmist wanted to understand his Jewish faith. He wanted to learn more about it. Unfortunately, he was told that he would have to wait years to be allowed to study it. One thing he did know, very clearly though, was the Jewish teaching about vengeance and honor. He says, to the Druze, honor and dignity are so important. For someone to insult you, to threaten your dignity, to disdain you, if you don't go and take revenge and take your rights back, it means you're a coward. Now, there he stood for it. One morning in 2017, Selma heard a voice very excitedly shouting from down below his apartment, calling his name. He ran outside and it was Willa that had gotten his attention because it turns out that his car was on fire. He did what he could to try and put it out. He slowed the flames a bit, eventually the fire started and allowed him to escape. Being well taught, Selma's thoughts began to turn in bitterness to his offender in need. And he didn't need the help of his uncle's encouragingly vengeful words. What if someone is attacking you, Selma? Maybe attacking you because you want the truth. You see, Selma had a job where he occasionally worked abroad, and as such, uh, he attended Christian worship service on one or two occasions at churches where he was known. When I would go to a church, he said, I would feel very happy, especially when I listened to the song. Selma had a friend who was also raised Jew, but who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Shortly after the incident of the burning of his car, he was talking with this Christian friend. Selma was saying, if I know who this is who has done this, I will smash him. I will kill him. His friend urged Selma to have some pride. No, no, no. You should not take revenge. You should be loving and forgiving. For the first time in his life, Selma said, that he ever knew of any Jew person not talking about Christianity, to then talking about Jesus Christ. 
Thomas wrote this book about that day. He wrote his whole history of Christianity about the God of reconciliation and about his need to be saved. Thomas Cranmer rejected him. And he tried to bridge it with some of his relatives, some of his close men. You have defied our religion. You are a traitor. Or if they saw him coming, they would turn and go the other way. Now at this time, Palmer had a barber shop. And he found one of his earliest customers in his barber shop across the street. And so Jews gathered in the place and saw him. And people raised their hands and tribute to him. At the same time, as some were treating him this way because he was in the place, others were noticing a dramatic change in Palmer's life. Thomas wrote that he had the kind of personality I didn't even tolerate people walking down the street without, if I caught their eye, scowling at them. Most of all, Palmer's wife noticed a change in his personality. After she asked about him and they talked more, asked about it, and they talked more eventually, she said, Hey, he's back. Her parents, when they found out about her faith, said that she had abandoned. Her, um, her family had abandoned her religion. They told her that she must divorce Palmer. She refused to do that. And she refused to rejoin the faith. Things continued to get worse for the two of them until they couldn't stay there any longer. And so eventually they had to leave Syria. They moved to Lebanon. They went to a place in Lebanon where Palmer actually had a brother. There was a Druze community and he wanted to be there in that community and near his brother and those of the culture that he had known. He went to visit his brother, and he had hoped that his brother might help them out. Instead, his brother didn't even let Palmer visit him. Those in whom you believe, go to them, he said. I cannot help you. Eventually, Palmer and his wife returned. They found support and help in the Christian community. They are there in Lebanon today. Pray for them for their livelihood, for their provision. They continue to face rejection from the members of the Jewish community. But Thomas says, I have a deep heart and a zeal for the Jewish people, but I love the Lebanese. I pray that God will grant them opportunity for him to introduce them to the one who can bring forgiveness. fondly remembered the many trips with his father deep into the mountains and jungles in the region near there to preach the gospel. During those memorable trips with his father, Ruth saw sick people and healed. She saw many people place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. I saw that people would change, Ruth said, and I loved that. Ruth became so infected by it that she began to follow in her father's footsteps. They took many trips, buying as many Bibles as they could with whatever money they could scrounge together to purchase a few. Ruth talks about the joy of putting a Bible into the hands of believers who had never had a Bible of their own in the past. Because of this love, she began to minister more to the poor. At the age of 10, with the blessing of the Jews, they are complete. 
Ruth was asked to lead a Sunday school class for children. Within three months, her class of 20 children had grown to 70. Sometime later, the leadership decided maybe Ruth should be the Sunday school director, not just of her church, but of a number of churches. Now, I don't know about you, but by my count, she might be 11 years old. Fast forward to the wonderful story of this woman's life. In 2009, Ruth met a man named Aurelio. Aurelio had recently lost his wife and was raising their children as well. Like Ruth, Aurelio had a passion for sharing the gospel. Ruth and Aurelio ministered together and eventually got married in 2013. And the couple soon began planting churches. different villages in southern Mexico ate together. Sometimes from the drug cartels who had the money and power and weapons. Sometimes from communist guerrilla militia groups who had the money and power and weapons. Sometimes the two groups were one and the same. Sometimes, though, they came from other religious leaders. Local priests sometimes urged their own congregations to persecute Ruth and Aurelia and the other church planters that they mentored and taught. They would be ostracized and let of the community that they tried to live in. Sometimes they would be harassed, having their electricity or their water turned off. Sometimes their children would not be allowed to attend school. Sometimes families, family members, if they showed up in need of medical care at the hospital or dental, dental care at a clinic, would be turned away because they were known for who they were. There's not one church that doesn't go through that, Aurelio said. Anywhere you go, you will face opposition. Aurelio also began to receive threatening calls. He told the callers, you'll never feel good if you kill us because we don't do anything wrong. We are pastors. We help people. In June 2017, Ruth and Aurelio had packed their truck with 500 Bibles with they
know that eventually the money might be able to uh, back up the tanks. The grass and barn area can't be unless we went into another section. So the barracks that we had found, the rail yards that had been dumped in the corner next to us, those arrived that had no money. And so we came crawling along those rail yards. Eventually they drove them to a place where they went over a hill. There they stopped and got out. Three men each took the three of them and took them down the hill. Then the gout reached the warrior and the mayor of Gasoline. Where did you take the road that you had? You were always taking boxes. The warrior was unable to reply, so he said. They were Bibles, the word of God. Use their Bibles in many places, he told them. This is our work. We distribute Bibles. That's what we do. What places have you visited? We visit many places. We don't sell the Bibles. We don't take money. We just take them to people so they can read them. You've got to stop doing this, they said. We have to do it, he said. After some more time, the men began to visit the rail yards again. And then suddenly one of the captains took his little gun and made a call. He pulled the trigger. going on, the man yelled. We have to finish the job. Why can't we kill them? The boss is going to be really mad at us if we don't kill them. If we don't finish this job, he's going to kill us. Unable to finish the job, finally about one third done, the men decided to leave. We know where you live. We know who you are. We know everything, and we're going to be close to watch you as you go and try to sell us things.
mentioned to you as well that in the bulletin there you have some uh, prayer points uh, regarding Israel. Those were really, really well done. Um, I'm not, uh, I didn't write them, but it's in the table. And uh, they, uh, in there, that there are prayer points specifically for believers in Israel, and specifically for believers in Palestine, and that's that's deeply important. A good buddy of mine that I went to college with, he married a girl who was a Palestinian Christian whose family immigrated to the U.S. through Iran. So uh, reading headlines about all this was, um, it, she really was rich. Um, her whole family were believers. So uh, it's an interesting concept that I'm thinking about. So as you know, I'm just giving you a slice of the life here. Um, anyway, it grows as opportunities to pray. What's going on in our world towards getting Take you back there quickly and then we'll be calling you.